Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. I'm once again joined by my co-host Dylan Hughes and Dylan in the tradition of throwing curveballs when you expect fastballs. Rolling Stone updated its list of the 500 greatest songs today. My question for you, Dylan Hughes, is what is the greatest song that's ever been made according to Dylan Hughes? Oh, God. You know, I've tried to compare songs and it's just so tough because songs are all different, right? Like, I can't compare Travis Scott to Lana Del Rey. I can't. They're so different. I can't compare the Beatles to Mac Miller. Like, it's so tough. But I will say, and this is actually good because Divine Rhyme is recording tomorrow, and Lana Del Rey has re-entered the playlist, um, despite the fact that I will definitely get my feels over that. But I'll say, Norman fucking Rockwell, Venice Bitch, just a genius, man. The whole album's great. Venice Bitch is like a nine-minute song. Got a very great, uh, very great, just to say how great it is. Um, guitar solo in there, like, it's great, man. It's I'm not saying that's the best ever, but it's, it's, a, it's at the top for me right now, I think. Okay. I knew that I wasn't going to get a clear answer out of you because I was just throwing this in your lap unexpectedly, but I thought about it. Okay. My two choices are either Bohemian Rhapsody Mm. or Mad City by Kendrick Lamar. Mm. Mad City, I think, well, it wasn't even on Rolling Stones list, which I thought was egregious. They had all right, which, you know, if you're going to choose a Kendrick song, you know, I understand why you choose that one. Yeah. But I think that Mad City, just in terms of like every, like it hits all the, you know, the notes like you want Kendrick giving the societal analysis, you know, the beat switch, you know, the um, just like literally everything, like an iconic hook. I, I just feel like Dylan, that's a perfect song, but that that's just me. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I feel like I'm going to have to make a list of at least rap songs rankings at some point. But Bohemian Rhapsody is a very good choice because I will say that the tempo change throughout, that's always that's always going to push songs up the list for me. A lot of the artists we talk about, I always say if, if they can do a tempo change in the middle or like just a full out beat switch, you know, like that's going to grab me. So Bohemian Rhapsody before it's time, I would say. Oh, yeah. It's a timeless song. I mean, people are going to be listening to that song well after we're, we're dead, you know, like, oh. oh, yeah, like that is just one of the songs that you listen to and you're like, OK, this is what a, this is like what greatness sounds like. And I think they had Bohemian Rhapsody like in like 45 to 50 range, which mm. seems absurd. Their greatest song of all time it was Respect by Aretha Franklin, which I can respect. Um, they had Runaway, like 26, which I'm surprised that's higher than Bohemian Rhapsody. That's just yeah. me. Like, I yeah. love Runaway. And if 
it is probably Kanye's greatest song, but we're, we're not here to discuss music, folks, okay? We are going to be doing our own rankings today. We are going to be ranking our top 100 NBA players. Dylan and I had talked about this, um, but we're going to be ranking our top 100 players. We're going to be going from 100 to 76, 75 to 51, 50 to 26, and then 25 to 1. So before we start, Dylan, um, did you have any like hard hard criteria for ranking your players or did you just kind of throw them out on a list and say, okay, this is where I have this guy this is where I have this guy. Yeah, it was a very unorganized process. And, and because of that, I will say that I'm very likely to sway at some point, I think as we start discussing, because first of all, there's almost a guarantee that I forgot someone somewhere Because when you have a hundred players to go through, even the best, like I just realized two nights ago, holy shit, I don't have Kyle Lowry on this list. Like even guys like that can slip through the cracks. So I'm scared that we're going to get to the twenties. I'm like, holy hell, I forgot like this undoubtedly awesome player, but I'm, I'm definitely going to forget someone. I'm definitely going to sway a little bit, but I, Kind of how I did it was I just started thinking of names. I'd go through rosters and I'd plop people down and then a new name would come to mind. I'm like, oh, I would definitely take him over this guy. Like, that's kind of how I would do it is, is the 59th guy better than the 60th guy? Is this, would I take the 60th guy over the 61? And it's like, oh, I wouldn't take the 61. I take 61, I think. So I bump him. Like, that's kind of how I did it. So again, this is a, this is a fluid list at at the moment, I would say. Um, and I have a I have a bunch of names plotted down that aren't on the list either that I think I don't know if we want to talk about those at all, but there's there's guys that were really close to making it that just missed out. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about your honorable mention. So I'll say that for a little bit later. Here's some of my criteria. So I kind of sorted players into tiers and you brought up the forgetting Kyle Lowry. I actually brought up a guy that's been compared to Kyle Lowry a lot in his career. I forgot Mike Conley the first time I made my list. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm missing somebody here. And I also realized I was missing DeJounte Murray and DeMar DeRozan. Can't think of any reason why. Um, (laughs) I was making this list when those guys were on, or when DeMar was actually on the Spurs. So I just forgot all this. I forgot the Spurs existed for a little bit there. But yeah, so I can relate to that. Um, Basically, I did what Dylan did, but I was like, okay. Let's just take a guy like, like I had this guy on my list and I took him off. So I'll I'll use him here. I had TJ Warren on the first edition of my list and I threw him in the like role player category, right? Like a really good role player. And then I took him off because he barely played. I'll just give off the guys that I did not rank on my list. I didn't have Spencer Dinwiddie. I didn't have Jonathan Isaac. Didn't have TJ Warren. I didn't have clay. If all four of those guys had played last year, I would have had them in my top 100. And I'll say I had Kawhi in my list and I had Jamal Murray in my list. So I feel like one, if not both of those players are going to be back next year playing, whether it's Kawhi coming back for the Clippers playoff run, whether it's Jamal coming back for the playoff run. We saw enough of both of them this year where I feel pretty comfortable having them where I do. So did you leave any of those guys off your list, Dylan, like any of the ones that I listed? I didn't have uh, Dinwiddie on, but honestly, I don't know if I would have had him anyway. He'd probably be close to making the final cut. But, yeah, the injury definitely bumped him out. But I will say that 
I'm kind of projecting those guys to come back with minimal losses to their game. Um, so I kind of just add, I, I bumped them down a little bit from where they would usually be, but I didn't I didn't leave um, any of the other guys off uh, at all. Okay, so with that in mind, let's go to some of your honorable mentions. Who are some of your honorable mentions if you just want to roll through some of those real quick? Yeah, so I'm sure there's there's some that I forgot um, with this as well, but uh, I'll just start naming. So I got uh, Zubach, I've got Dwight Howard, I've got Campaign, I've got Matisse Thibel, Jeff Green, Bruce Brown, which was a tough one, obviously. Um, Alex Caruso, Dante DiVincenzo, Gallo, Markel Fultz, KCP, Tyler Hero, Jaron Jackson Jr., who was on the list, but I just, as more names came, I'm like, I don't know. I got, I had to push him down, but he'll probably reemerge this season. Uh, Joe Ingles, who was a late bump, and then Kevin Herter. Mm. I had two of those guys on my top 100. Um, some of the names I cut that I wanted to keep on there. Um, Brooke Lopez, I cut. Reggie Jackson, Derek White, Malik Beasley, Lou Dort. I also cut Jaron. Um, another guy that was hard for me to cut was Patty Mills. There was a lot of guys that was hard for me to cut. Um, you know, uh, DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> How was that sure a hard you, cut? <laughs> I had to make sure you were listening to me. Um, but no, like Jordan Clarkson was a hard cut. Um, mm. Terrence Ross, Evan Fournier. Evan Fournier was a really tough one in hindsight. Like I said, I did have a couple of the guys that you listed, and I'm sure you had a couple of the guys that I listed. So um, now that we got the honorable mentions out of the way, we're going to try to get through a lot of this because we're each going to be naming 50 players. And that's a lot, right? So we're going to try to have a good pace through this. Shout out to Caleb Lynn. He'll try to be, we'll try to make him proud because he likes to keep his episode short. This one is probably not going to be short, but it pro- I'm trying not to make it too long. So Dylan, we'll start with you. What is your 100 through 96? And we're going to go like five at a time and we're going to give like quick rationalizations for our five. So for each of the five players. So Dylan, what were you, what are your first five 100 through 96? So the 100th man, Mr. Irrelevant, is Buddy Heald. I mean, just one of the best shooters in the league still. I don't know if he'll hit the peak he had a couple years ago, but he belongs in the list. Uh, D'Angelo Russell's next. I, I think he's he's not far from – I think he's still uh, one of the best closers in the league, so he's he's got a spot for me. Joe Harris took a dip this year. I think if we did this, you know, in January, he'd probably be higher, but still very good shooter. Uh, one of the best off ball. Marcus Smart, not as good, uh, not as efficient as he has been, uh, but still one of the best wing defenders in the league. Um, and then Dennis Schroeder, who he kept falling down the list as well. He was like in the 70s at one point and made it, barely made the list at the end, but. I, I'm not going to judge him too much for this past year, but, um, you know, obviously he would have been higher if we did this at the end of last season, for sure. It's funny because I had all five of these guys in varying spots. Like I'll tell you right now on this episode, I, we are not going to mention, mention Marcus smart for my side. We are we, okay. For full transparency, we're recording 100 
through 76 and 75 through 51 in the same night. So we are going to talk about both of these tonight. But yes, I have Marcus Smart in the top 75. I'm real interested that you have him this low. And I think that's the one I want to harp on for now. But let me give you my first five real quick. So my first one is Kevin Herter. I thought he had a killer playoff run. And he showed a lot of skills that make are going to make him a real valuable player. And if he was starting... I would say he starts for about 25 of the 30 NBA teams right now. He just happens to be on the one team that's so deep in his position that he can't start. Um, my next guy is Buddy Heald. I, so we have him in a pretty similar spot. Uh, and I think Buddy is still an elite shooter, even with you know the turmoil that they've gone through in Sacramento. And he's kept shooting. And if he goes to a contender, I think he could jump up the list in a major way next year. Um, my next guy is John Wall. Um, I thought, you know, in Houston, it was a rough situation and he still averaged 20 and seven and he looked really good. Now, is that a product of Steven Silas's offense? I think Steven Silas is an offensive mastermind. If you looked at the way Kelly Olynyk played, but I still thought John Wall played really well last year, 97. I have Andrew Wiggins. I thought he was really good for the Warriors last year on offense and defense. And then 96, I couldn't help myself. Our boy, Miles Bridges. So do you have any things you're curious about on my side before we get to Marcus Smart? Um, I will say Wiggins is much higher for me. Okay. He's, I mean, stats wise, he's always been good, obviously, but this past season, man, like if he's not on that Warriors team, I don't think they're even close to the plan. Like I really think he had a huge impact on that team really proving that he could fit in alongside stars and, you know, clay wasn't there, but I think clay actually will make his game even better. So I think, I think he's, yeah, he'll, he'll be coming up uh, for me, but yeah, I, I have him much higher. Okay. Um, let's talk about Marcus smart. I have him. I'll just go ahead and give this away now, or he's in the 70 to 75 range for me. Why are you lower on Marcus smart than I am? <laughs> I don't know if it's maybe splashiness is not um, like Marcus Smart is not a guy that's going to catch your eye. Right. Um, And that is usually I can usually filter those guys out. And like, I don't care about flashiness too much. Like we're both going to be much lower on Russell Westbrook than the rest of the league because we don't care about splashiness. Right. And, you know, I, I may regret being this low on him, but even looking at the guys above him, I still think, and this range is usually more off-ball types. And just looking at the guys I have ahead of him, I'm sure, again, there's some I'll sway on, but I'm not sure. I think I think at this range, I have a lot more shooters. And, you know, Marcus Smart has – I actually think he's probably done better as a shooter than people expected, um, him coming out. But he's still, you know, very close to average. And obviously the defense and the passing is very good, but – there's just, I don't know, a lot of these other guys I have, I think they offer a little bit more um, on the offensive side of the ball, namely with shooting. So the reason I had Marcus higher is just the defense. I don't think there's a guy who at his peak guards guards better than him in the NBA. And I'll be honest, I had him close to the top 50. He took a precipitous drop for me and ended up in the top 75. So I started getting lower on him as the season went along, but I just think the intangibles that he provides, you'll notice a lot of the guys I have in that seven, like 80 to 70 range are all like 
not all, but most of them are like heavy intangibles guys. And I think that the intangibles he brings, I, I just really value those. And yeah, he's a really streaky shooter, but like, at least he's confident enough to shoot him. You know, like another guy that I'm sure we'll both be talking about later, like Dylan Brooks, right? Like Dylan Brooks is not afraid to shoot it at all. And I think that's my favorite thing about him. And I think that's Marcus Smart. It's another, that's a trait they have in common. And I think that that serves well on the Celtics team where they need, like everyone else is so young. And I know it's weird because Marcus Smart's only like 27, but he's one of the older guys on that team now. He's obviously the longest tenured player. I just think that he brings a level of leadership and defense that just, you don't get from a lot of guards from around the league anymore. I mean, yeah, like I still love, I love the guy. Like two years ago, I really wanted him to go to Phoenix. And obviously it worked out for Phoenix pretty well. But I, I think if Marcus Smart was in more of a, a creator role, I actually think he'd be a little bit better and and more impactful. But I, I think he's probably fine as a complimentary player with Boston. And, you know, again, the defense is hard to deny, but – there's a lot of really good defenders I left off the list because they don't offer much on the other end. And Marcus Smart is not a guy that doesn't offer much on the offensive end. But again, the the streaky shooting kind of, I, I just prioritize that a little bit more in, in other players. That's fair. That's fair. So in the interest of pace of the podcast, what is your 95 to 91st player? So the first is Lonzo, who, man... I could not figure out where the hell to put this guy. I still don't know what he is. Like, he's a good team defender. He can pass. I guess he's a good shooter now. Like, what his role in, in Chicago this year is fascinating to me, um, especially next to Levine and DeMar. So, uh, I, I had to get him on the list, and this felt like a good spot. But he could fall lower or higher. It's just something that we'll have to see. He's a big swing guy for me. Next, Cam Johnson. And I might as well say Duncan Robinson next to pretty similar to me. Like Duncan Robinson, I definitely take over Cam because he's a much better shooter. But Cam, man, we saw him in the playoffs. Like he is such a good cutter and he's just such a smart player. Like I think he's one of the one of the better complimentary bench guys in the league. Um, so and Duncan Robinson, too. Perfect fit with any stars that can pass and need spacing. Um, and then I went with Bogdan. I think he probably would have went a little bit higher if he didn't have that kind of late season tumble a little bit with, I I know the shoulder was a problem, but you know, a really good second or third creator, just he can light it up at any time though. That's one thing. Um, So this is, you can kind of tell this is kind of like the off ball shooter slash cutter kind of territory I've been realizing. Um, And then the last Lou Dort, man, who, Another guy that could very easily shoot up this list as the season gets started, um, playing on, you know, the pathetic tanking organization that Thunder are, I think may have soured me just on every OKC player in general. But, I mean, he is – I think he's really going to be one of the best 3 and D players for the next decade. So, this is real – this group is real interesting compared to mine. I have Lonzo in the similar range. I obviously told you I did not have Dort on the list. Dort was like 101, I'll say. Like, he was really close. And he is a victim of circumstance, I'll say, because if he wasn't playing on that team that was so brazenly trying to tank, 
he might have made the list, but we didn't get to see a full season from him. So that hurts him. Um, I did not have Cam Johnson on my list. That mm. one was a hard cut too. Like all the Phoenix wings, that was really, really tough. And Duncan Robinson, I have in this range. Bogdan, I have way higher. I'll just say, but I, that's what I kind of like about this is that we're disagree. Like we don't have the exact same rankings and I think that's really cool. So I'll go ahead and give my next five. So at 95, I have Tyrese Halliburton. Okay. I thought he really good role player for the Kings last year. Um, 94, I have Mitchell Robinson and I'm assuming you don't have him on your list because, and I don't know if this would be a popular inclusion, but I just really love the defense that he brings And I think he could be like a generational type defender. Like we saw the leap he took last year with the blocks and the blocks decreased, but so did the fouls. And like, that's huge. He was able to stay on the floor more. Their defense when he was on the floor, was like elite. So I have him 94. I have Lonzo at 93. Um, Great defender, great shooter. You know, if he can help enhance Chicago's offense next year, that'll be great too. If not, I think he's in a perfect spot for him anyway. I think Lonzo, if there's problems in Chicago, it won't be Lonzo. I'll say that. At 92, I have Schroeder. Um, He was, like you said, he was higher, but he just, he fell. And he was really good when LeBron and AD were out in the regular season though. I think we forget that. Like you and I didn't cover them at all the second half of the season. So we kind of ignored them, but I didn't realize he averaged 17 and eight while LeBron and AD were out. So he did a really good job holding the ship up there. And then at 91, I have Rashawn Holmes. I love Rashawn Holmes. I think he's the perfect like mid-level center, right? And I'm not talking about like mid-level exception. Like he's probably like the closer to the league average center, but like he can just do so much on the floor on defense and offense. I just think that, um, He's a real interesting player for the Kings going forward. What? Okay. Let's just start with this again. Did you have any objections with the five that I just listed? No, I I think you're pretty good. I will say that I'm shocked that you have Rashawn Holmes and not me. Um, I'm shocked too. You know, I I love the guy. He's a great complimentary center, but I'm going to take Buddy Heal and, and Russell over him every day. Like if I'm building a team, you know, I'm sorry. I love the guy. I love, I love him. I wanted him to go to Charlotte very badly. Um, but you know, it's just, you got to prioritize certain things and, uh, a center with a good, with a good floater wasn't really fitting in for me. (laughs) Listen, man, it's my big man bias. You know, I'm not going to act like I don't have a big man bias. I want the center to come back. I'm actively, rooting for the center to come back. So um, apologies if you hear my cat in the background, but um, yeah, I'll say for your five, um, I just, I must be a lot higher on Bogdan than you are because I just really love what he brought to the Hawks this playoffs. And I know it was the East and maybe, you know, like he was on the Kings for years and they didn't make the playoffs, but I think that he was really an instrumental part of them making the conference finals. And I know that he got hurt in game five of the Atlanta series, but I just thought like in the playoffs, like after he got his rhythm back from the injury, he was really good for the Hawks. Yeah. I mean, again, it was, it's one of those, I I think a lot of these guys at the bottom, they, they really could switch around a lot. Um, I like Bogdan a lot. I like what he did for the Hawks. I mean, there was, I remember that one game when 
he had like 27 points in like the first half or something, or it was the, I don't remember who they were playing, but they had a huge three point shooting quarter. And a lot of it was him. I mean, his, his ceiling is incredibly high, uh, but like watching the playoffs. And again, I know the injury, I, I don't want that to spoil it too much, but I just thought Kevin Herter was better than him most of the time. And I'd even have Kevin Herter on my list. So Again, next year, very capable of moving up. But right now, I feel pretty comfortable with him in kind of that bottom 10 range. Okay. You know what? I don't agree. But the beautiful thing about this is I respect your reasoning. So, and yeah, I just want to say again, Lou Dort. (laughs) We're obviously referencing this off of the 2021 season. But we haven't reminisced on 2020 in a while. And I think Lou Dort guarded James Harden as well as anyone's guarded him in a playoff series in the 2020 playoffs. Like that does not get enough. He doesn't get enough respect for that. He doesn't get enough credit for that. And just like what a defensive performance by Lou Dort in the 2020 playoffs against Harden. Like it's been a year. Like it's only been a year. How crazy the NBA calendar has been. We've played two, basically two seasons in the last year, but I think he deserves a ton of credit for that. Like just that playoff series. Yeah. I mean, I think he's got the prototypical body of defending kind of a big guard, small wing uh, or small forward. I mean, he, he's very mobile and very strong. And I think moving forward, we're going to see him, him and SGA together are going to be a duo on defense. I mean, they, those two are going to have a lot of fun. I think when this roster fills out over time, and on the offensive end, too, was it that Utah game he dropped 40? I mean, he's got a high ceiling offensively. Like, he he doesn't get respected as a shooter because he has kind of a weird shot. And it doesn't really look fully developed. But, man, the shots go in. And they don't go in a lot. He's kind of like Marcus Smart where he's a little streaky. But when he's on, he's on. And I think he's just going to get better over time. I'm looking at his game log now. And according to basketball reference, he had eight games between 20 and 29 points. And then obviously he had the 42 point game that you referenced against Utah. Like if any of that scoring is real, then he's going to be a problem. And let's just be real here too. Even if it's not real, if his shooting is real, his shooting took a massive jump from year one to year two. Year one, he was at 29% from three year two. He's at 34% from three. Like if that, if he can make like another jump towards like 37, 38%, you're not going to be able to sit him come playoff time. Like obviously they didn't against, <laughs> against Houston and he was a massive offensive liability, but no, he scored 30 points in a game seven. Didn't he? Yeah. I think he was the only one that did well that game. <laughs> but, Shout out to yeah. Gallo. <laughs> yeah. Who was only played well in the East in the playoffs. The one time he did, but um, Yeah. I think Lou Dort could be a problem. Not like a, you know, he's not going to average 25 points a game. But I think Lou Dort could really be a difference maker for the Thunder. It hurt me leaving him off the list. It really did. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you've you've been talking up Lou Dort way before me. So for you, uh, or for me to have him, and for you to have Rashawn and not me, I mean, we're off to a hot start here. (laughs) Well, I'm thinking I'm honestly more shocked that neither of us have Jaron. Like that's honestly, it was just such a bad year, man. Like it's as much as we love the kid, God, it was just a really tough year. And at this point, 
like Buddy Heald is a really good player. You know, like that's the end of our, you know, you have him at 99, I have him at 100. Like to put Jaron over a guy like that that's consistently been one of the top shooters in the league, if, if, if you can't put him over him, then it's like, it's just a tough year. I think he'll redeem himself this year, at least I hope. But yeah, it was a really tough year for him. It was, it was. But on to some more guys that maybe didn't have as rough of years. Um, 90 through 86. So, Dylan, who is your 90th through 86th ranked players? Yeah, man, this, this is the fun part, I think. Especially these five players, I just love them all. Pat Williams. I mean, I think he's going to be just a force on both ends of the floor. I think the team he's on now, especially with that talent, he is going to be, I think, one of the best complimentary players in the league. As a rookie to be that good on defense and that efficient from the floor is very impressive. So I think he had a great year. And, you know, I don't love putting young guys on a list like this already, but I think he earned it. Um, Another young guy, Tyrese Halburn, shocker that I have him above you. Uh, again, just just does everything well, doesn't turn the ball over, shoots well, doesn't have that quick first step that everyone loves from a guard, but he's just solid. And he's like, I think he's George Hill, you know, like that's maybe even a little bit better. So that's that's a pretty good uh, career right there. Bob Covington, baby, the the man that will never die, the man that will play center. He'll play point guard like on defense, like he doesn't care. He's guarding all five. And he'll knock some threes down in the process. Just very reliable on both ends of the floor. Um, Miles Bridges, I'm also a little bit higher on, on him than you. I just I think that he uh, he's not the best prospect in Charlotte, but he is close. I mean, I think it's Lamelo and then him. Like he he took a major jump over PJ Washington this past season. Very good on ball. Good shooter. Good defender. I mean, I think he's got a, a pretty high floor at the very least. And then DeAndre Hunter, who I think is going to end up this, maybe this season, become one of the, let's say, a top 10 isolation scorer. Okay. I mean, I think his on-ball skills are so good. And yes, a lot of injuries this past season. I think if he wasn't hurt, he would be probably in the 60s. Like, he is a good defender. He's a good shooter. He's good with the ball. I mean, I think he's going to grow into be one of the better scorers and defenders in the league. I have Hunter higher than you do. This is going to be a shocker to you. I have Covington higher than you. I I know you can't (laughs) believe it, but I have Covington in the 60s. I'll just say that. I'm really, you know, I love, you know, I love Robert Covington. So that's, that's probably not a shocker to you. Um, I thought I was high on Miles Bridges. Apparently I'm not. I'll say that. Pat Williams is a great pick. I wouldn't have done it. I mean, I didn't do it, but I don't blame you because he was really good for the Bulls last year. And like for a rookie, and you're right, on both sides, it's not common for a rookie to be that good. So let me go ahead and give my next five. I have a guy in this range that you didn't have. And also, this is going to be the first, like, real big-name shocker on the list. So, at 90, I have Seth Curry. I think he's, you know, he really showed out for the Sixers in the playoffs. Really showed out. and Like, he averaged 19 points a game in the playoffs. I didn't realize. Like, he was probably their second-best player through the whole run. Um, 89, I have Joe Ingles, the rightful sixth man of the year. 
You know, he <laughs> was a like Joe Ingles last year kind of had the Andre Iguodala in Golden State conundrum where Iggy was obviously the best six man, but it always went to Lou Williams or Jamal Crawford. No shade at those guys because they're great scorers. But I think that, you know, Ingles just does everything so well for the Jazz and the defense has fallen off, I'll admit, but everything else makes up for it for me. 88. This is the first big one. Um, Chris Daps for Zingas. I think that, listen, in the playoffs, he got exposed. And it was really bad. And people were saying, you know, like, oh, he's so mobile. Oh, you know, he can block shots and he can shoot threes. Well, he can't move his feet laterally. And he got played off the court by the maps. Like, he just was really bad in the playoff series against against L.A. Like, they really exposed him, I felt. Um, 87, I have Joe Harris. You know, I think he's, you know, yeah, he had a bad playoff run. I bet you if Harden was healthy, that doesn't happen. I and I know, you know, maybe I shouldn't have a player that's so reliant on James Harden so high, but I just feel like what happened this playoffs isn't going to happen next year for lots of reasons. But I think if he's your second guy, you're screwed. If he's your fourth guy, you're in a great fucking spot. So that's that's my Joe Harris thing. And then Dorian Finney-Smith mm. is at 86. And I, you know, great defender, great offensive rebounder, great shooter. Really, if you were going to drop a 3 and D role player to put next to Luka Doncic, you drop Dorian Finney-Smith. So um, I don't think I had any issues. <laughs> Obviously, I think we'll talk more about Covington later. Um, and I obviously like the Pat Williams pick, even though I didn't do it, even though I was a coward and didn't execute with it. Um, do you have any issues with the five I just named? No issues considering you named two that I'm about to say um, my next five, but I, I did not put Dorian Finney Smith on the list. Um, I think he is definitely in contention for that bottom five, but I'm a little bit lower on you than him. I, and maybe it's just the structure of their team, but there's a few guys on that team. I take over him and I don't know when you're moving down the list. Like he kind of ends up like Kevin Herter where I don't know, like he's definitely an off ball player, but maybe if he had a bit of a bit, a bigger role, I'd be a little bit more interested in putting him on the list. But you know, I, I think I, I kind of just went with some other Mavericks. I didn't feel like, um, he was really worthy of making the list, but he was close. Here's, here's another question for you. How much higher were you on Porzingis than me? Like what range do you have Porzingis in? Uh, he's actually one of the two that you named. So it, we're not oh, too funny. <laughs> we're, I, I love that. We're like, so far, this is not, we're not agreeing as much as I thought we would, but I love that we agree on that. <laughs> I mean, that, we're, it's it's hard to expect us to agree like getting the 98th player exactly right. I think ranges is more more the the thing, and really we're not too far off. Like in the, I'm assuming by the time we get through these bottom 20, it's I don't know. It may end up being between 10 and 15 of the same names, even if they're not in the same spot. Exactly. That's a that's a good way to put it. So. If we're done with that section, let's go ahead and move on to the next section. Dylan Hughes, what is your 85 through 81st ranked players? Yeah, so speaking of names you've already said, John Wall. Um, I Listen, I'm not going to blame him for Houston. I maintain that Houston won that Russell Westbrook trade just because, you know, I, I don't know. I just think Wall's a better player than Westbrook, and 
And I will say, I'm saying that despite there being a massive gap between the two players, maybe, maybe it's not good to say that West, that he's better than Westbrook, but I don't think there's a huge difference. If you put them in the same exact scenario, I mean, this Houston team was garbage. Like I think Westbrook would have looked terrible on this team too. So, I mean, his stats would have looked great, but he wouldn't look great. So I, I don't know. I think, I think wall has become a bit underrated at this point. Um, so that's, that's what I feel about him. Seth Curry already talked about him. I mean, just an awesome year for Philly, especially in the playoffs. I think he, I think he could be a secondary creator for a lot of teams. Like I think he, he proved that he's capable of being that level of a creator. Um, next, Chris Tapps. Again, I think I, I couldn't leave him off the list or even move him down anymore because the ceiling is just hard to to forget about from what he did two years ago. You know, like the, the bubble, he was awesome. And yes, it was the bubble, I know, but I, I still think he's, he's not as bad as he looked this past year is, is my thoughts on it. Next is Marcus Morris, who I kind of wonder if you're maybe higher on him than me. This past year killed me with Marcus because God, he was so good in 2020 as well. And this past year, he really came up small a lot and Reggie Jackson had to step in and save the day. So, and, and Reggie Jackson, um, I actually was skimming through. I think I forgot him. He's again, a, a name that I knew I'd forget some names. He would probably end up in this range if I really thought hard about it, but um, I mean, when Reggie Jackson has to save the day, like that's going to push Marcus down. And then a name that you left off, Patty Mills. I, hmm. I think Patty Mills is another very underrated player, just really solid on both ends of the floor. And, and I continue to hear players say that he's one of the toughest players to guard in the league. It's amazing that Patty Mills, like, it's like, oh, who are the top three toughest to guard? Oh, you know, Kyrie Steph and probably Patty Mills. Like, that's kind of how people talk about him. When players talk about a guy like that and you see it on the floor where the dude just can knock down threes when the team really needs it, like he's he's a guy I'd love to have on my team. And he's a guy that I thought definitely deserved to make this list. Yeah, he was a really there were a lot of hard cuts, right? Like it wasn't just one getting that 100th guy was really hard. <laughs> so leaving Patty Mills off kind of hurt, especially with how much I was hyping him up, like saying he was the guy that could swing the off season. And for the record, I still kind of think he did, but I love Patty Mills on the list. Um, before I give my five, there's actually been some reporting that I feel like we should talk about. I kind of skimmed over it in the first part of it, but John wall is a, uh, and the Rockets are looking to amicably part ways. And I think I'm just wondering, Dylan, do you think that there are any teams that make sense? I have one in mind, but I'm curious to see if you have any that like would have the money to trade for him and would want to trade for him. Yeah, I very quickly thought through this and I don't know, like technically Orlando, but I don't know. After taking Suggs and having Fultz, I don't know. I, I really haven't thought too hard about it. It'd actually be kind of funny if like he went back to the Wizards, <laughs> um, but I don't know. I I have a tough time seeing it happen unless you do maybe a three-team trade, but I would love to hear your thought on it. I have one team that I think John Wall fits perfectly on. It's the Los Angeles Clippers. Mm. And, okay, so this is it's going to hurt a little bit, right? 
But the this trade package works. Eric Bledsoe plus Luke Kennard plus Serge Ibaka, right? And you have John Wall has never been a great shooter, right? But what's his probably greatest attribute is making shooters better. And you're going to have Reggie Jackson playing the off guard. You're going to have Paul George playing the three. Paul George, listen, this is no disrespect to Russell Westbrook. I think John Wall is a better passer than Russell Westbrook. (laughs) And if you put Paul George with John Wall, oh my God, (laughs) the level of catch and shoot looks like that's how Paul George was started MVP voting basically based off of catch and shoots. (laughs) created for him by Russell Westbrook. Obviously he was creating himself, but he was crazy efficient with Russ. Imagine how much more efficient he'd be with, with wall. And then Zubach would be a real beneficiary of playing with John wall. Then you have, you know, the other shooters, Batum, Morris. I actually have Morris like two spots ahead of you. So it's not much of a difference there between us on Marcus Morris. I think that John wall would fit perfectly in LA. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know, like, are there picks being thrown in or is Houston just like, screw it, we're going to get rid of John Wall? I mean, I would say if you can get Kennard, who's on a lot cheaper of a contract than I remember, he's only making $12 million this year. So if you can get Kennard, you get a floor spacer, you know, to throw in with Tice, to throw in with your rookies. I think that I would take that if I'm Houston to get off of John, to get off of John Wall. So you're telling me that you would rather have Luke Kennard than Kyrie Thomas. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yes, that is what I'm telling you. (laughs) Man. Well, I mean, I could see it. Eric Bledsoe is going to end up on every team in the league by the end of the season, I think. But, uh, you know, he deserves to be passed around. So I'm for it. Eric Bledsoe going around and looking at top 100s from 2020. He was on a lot of top 100 lists. At the end of 2020, he is not going to sniff a single one this year. No, maybe a top 400. I could see him on that. All right. Let's not be that mean, Dylan. <laughs> Come on now. I mean, hey, Eric's. We should sort through the next 300. I think that, uh, you know, wouldn't take that long to do. You know, Thomas, Tomas Sadoransky or Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> That's what I'm going to stay up tonight trying to figure out. These are the questions that keep Dylan Hughes up at night. Not, you know, pondering existential life questions. No. Eric Bledsoe or Tomas Sadoransky. Um, yeah, I think just real quick about Wall, one last thing. I think he would give them that rim pressure that they need, right? Like, I thought he was really good at attacking the rim from the games we saw of him last year. And I think that, like, yeah, he's not going to be, like, he's not the greatest finisher in the world. He never really has been. But with the with the way the Clippers space the floor, I don't think it matters. They just need someone that actually attacks the rim rather than just stopping it in the mid range and pulling up from the elbow. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see him with that kind of talent. I mean, it's been like Beal and a 50 year old Paul Pierce has kind of been the best he's ever had. Uh, also shout out to Marcin Gortat, obviously. Um, so the Polish hammer, baby. So, you know, it would it would be fun. I mean, I think Wall has had a really tough past few years, man. Like having two two huge injuries and then this past season playing on the worst team in the league while getting injured again. I mean, it's 
it's tough. So I would love to see him end up in a spot where he could actually compete. Remember, weren't they starting two centers in Washington at one point? Um, well, I know they had Nene mixed in there. Right. That's what I was thinking uh, of. Was Jordan Hill there? Like they've, they had, what, uh, Jason Smith, was that his name? Probably the worst power forward in the NBA history. I mean, they've had a lot of interesting guys in there. But this is the last, 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 last point I'll make about John Wall. <laughs> Remember Martel Webster getting paid? Remember Trevor Ariza getting paid? Remember Otto Porter signing a fucking max deal? Why do you think that happened? Those guys aren't, you know, anyone's idea. Oh, wait. I just thought of one last place that would make sense for Wall. One extra place. I think Dallas, if they can't get Dragic, I think that that would be an interesting spot for them to look at. Now, I think the way you do it is Porzingis and Powell. That leaves you with virtually no big man depth, which is a problem. Like, even if Porzingis isn't great, it's better than 45 minutes of Maxi Kleba. So, I don't know. I think that just somewhere with a lot of shooters where he's not going to be the primary ball handler, but if he's your, like, you know, secondary ball handler or the guy who sets up the scores, I think he's going to be in a better spot, personally, once he gets traded. Yeah, I mean, Dallas would be a fun one. We've been trying to get Luka a real point guard for years, it feels like. So that would be interesting. And, yeah, the the, the big man depth would be tough considering that this past year they didn't really have much, it seemed, anyway. Because Powell has just fallen out of the rotation, uh, which is pretty interesting. But, yeah, I mean, it's um, – I, I hope he moves on. I don't really care where he ends up. It's got to be better than Houston. And now that Carlisle's gone, he's uh... – <laughs> Powell's not going to play at all. I don't think. I think Powell's done. Yeah. But on to my five. We kind of took a little bit of a detour there, but I I wanted to hit that because that's kind of newsworthy and we both had him. So um, my next five, I have Duncan Robinson at 85. I have Tim Hardaway Jr. at 84. D'Angelo Russell at 83. RJ Barrett at 82. And I have Kemba at 81. I think Robinson is probably the third best shooter in the league. I think that he he created space for the Heat's offense by himself last year, and that's inevitably why he cratered in the playoffs is because they had no other shooters. Um, Hardaway is just a bucket, and he's been really good for them. In Dallas, um, I really love the way he played in the playoffs. He was pretty streaky, but, you know, who cares when he's the only other guy who was consistently giving them offense through that whole series. Um, Russell, I thought he was really good under Finch. And I think that I think if he's willing to accept being a third option next year, it'll be great for them and they might make the play in, you know, I'm really high on them anyway, but I think that that could be really good for them. I thought Barrett had a huge leap from year one to year two, the defense improved and the shooting improved both inside and out. Like he just got much more efficient and this year the floor will be even more spaced you know, he'll have more space. He won't be starting. Alfred Payton was a starting point guard last year. Like the fact that he was able to shoot 45% and 40 from three with that cramped of a floor, I thought was really good. And then Kemba, he had a really bad year, but I think that with reduced expectations in New York, I think he's going to look a lot better next year. Um, How do you like that five? 
Well, I will say the the major breaking news that I am much higher on RJ Barrett. Um, I don't know how that ended up happening. I don't either. This is shocking. I am. He's. Let's see. He's in the top sixty for me. Wow. So what? I was high on RJ Barrett. <laughs> I listen. I like a big guard. I, I think I. I think I just ended up realizing that Julius Randle was more of the problem for him. Like any problems that he had were probably based on the fact that Randall just had the ball so much. And and as good as Randall was as a shooter, he's still not a floor spacer, I wouldn't say. So I think that – I think if you put Barrett with a bunch of shooting and, yes, no L for Peyton, uh, he'd be much better. But I'll get into that later on. Um, I will say Kemba was nowhere near my list. The past 11 months for him, calendar months, because, you know, going back to the end of 2020 season – God, man, like the Eastern Conference Finals 2020, he was horrendous. And then this past season, not very good. So I love Kemba. I really want him to do well, even if it's for the Knicks. But right now, it's just it's been too tough of a year for him. Kemba's a real benefit of the doubt guy for me. Right. Like I have a couple of those on my list. You know, and we'll get to some of those later, I'm sure. But he just gets a huge benefit of the doubt. You know, he made all NBA two seasons ago. You know, I feel it feels like having him at 81 is low, you know, let alone leaving him off the list. I, I understand why you left him off your list. I kind of had the impulse too, but I'm like, I'd rather like even the way he played last year. I think I'd rather have Kemba than Russell, you know, mm-hmm. just like overall as a player. I think that's just the way I felt about it. But yeah, I, t- I totally get where you're coming from. You know, like if you give me a list between Kemba, Schroeder and Russell, I'm going, you know, the order I have them in Kemba, Russell and Schroeder. So I think that that's the reason why, you know, yeah, he was really bad in the conference finals last year. He was really bad against the Nets this year. But I think with reduced expectations and obviously I'm coming into this expecting Barrett will leapfrog Walker next year. I think that with reduced expectations, he'll look a lot better in New York, especially with Fournier. I think with him and Fournier and Randall and Barrett, they actually have firepower in New York. And is it good firepower? Eh, maybe. We'll probably talk about that more when we talk about, you know, the actual teams. But I think that Kemba with a reduced role, I think he'll look a lot better in New York next year. That's what I'll say. I could see it, but I think the Boston situation was perfect where he's playing off Brown and Tatum. I mean, he didn't really have to do that much. Like, he just needed to hit shots. And he did it a little bit here and there, but it was still pretty disappointing. So, again, I'm rooting for the guy, but I'm not too confident right now. That's fair. That's fair. Um, Were you higher on Hardaway than I was, I'm assuming? Oh, yes. Yep, I was. I figured. And then, obviously, Robinson. Um, I just feel like Robinson, when you can create spacing by yourself, that's like a whole other tier of shooter. Like, especially with how he shoots off of screens. I, I just felt like I needed, you know, I needed him that high. I feel like Buddy probably will be a better shooter than him if he's on a better team. But right now, Duncan Robinson, I think just the way the teams are constituted and the way that the roles, their roles are constituted, I think I'd rather have Robinson than Buddy right now. Yeah, I will say the shooters that I have above Duncan, just looking at it, like Seth Curry, I just – I like him more on ball. And, you know, I like ball handler, so that's kind of where I went with him. And same with Patty Mills. Like, I like a guy that can dribble and shoot. I mean, I think Robinson is like a, a worse defending Clay Thompson. 
which is a great freaking player, right? Like he's on the list for a reason, but I'm always going to gravitate towards the guys that can handle the ball a little bit as well. You know, I, I respect that. And I assume that's why Joe Harris is lower on your list as well. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So it's crazy, Dylan. We've moved through this a lot faster than I think we both thought we would. Yeah. <laughs> We're on the last five. So Dylan, what are your last five? Well, I want to say real quick, I actually have Barrett in the top 70. Uh, I was looking at the numbers wrong. Top 60 would have been ridiculous. Top 70 feels okay uh, right now. But so this next group is is interesting. Um, it Let's see, 80, I have Garland. Um, okay. I, I just couldn't figure out where to put the kid at because really – I haven't watched him as much as I should because Cleveland was not a great watch this past season, um, at least in the second half. Listen, he is a very smooth ball handler and a great passer. And I will say that I have him lower than Colin Sexton. So that's kind of how I feel about it. I don't know if he's – I think he may be a better prospect than Sexton, but right now I would take Sexton, and I'll get to that um, later on. But – I think he deserves to make the list. And again, it's kind of a weird spot, I feel like, but we'll see where he ends up uh, as the season goes. Next, Norm Powell. I mean, I just love – I love Norm Powell, man. He's he's one of my favorite guys to watch on ball in the league. We talked about this in our pods, both Portland and Toronto. The dude just gets to the rim and scores. Like, that's literally all he does. I mean, he is probably one of the best finishers in the league, honestly. Like, he is very hard to stop. I mean, you don't really talk about him much as like a great finisher, but like the dude scores buckets. So I, I've always appreciated his game. The next was Gordon Hayward again, kind of a weird spot. I think he definitely redeems himself in Charlotte. Um, Obviously gets hurt. So that kind of hurt his stock a little bit, but I, I think he is still a good player. I mean, he's become a very good passer, which in that offense, I think is going to be really fun. Hopefully he comes back and can play a full season. Mikhail Bridges next. I mean, come on. The, the kid is the next Chris Middleton. I'll take it to the grave. He had a great run with the finals and all that. And he played a little bit smaller of a role than I was hoping, but he's still very young, still a great defender. So he's, again, just going to continue to blossom. And then Andrew Wiggins, as I talked about earlier, I think the Warriors would have been screwed without him. And he proved that he can fit in on a good team. Like he can participate on a team that maybe isn't going to make the playoffs, but is going to be close. And I think this season they'll be a lot better with Clay coming back. So I, I like him, man. Like I've talked a lot of crap about him in his career, but he's, he's proved me wrong. So this is going to shock you. I'm way higher on Darius Garland than you are. I know this is a shocker to you. I'm, <laughs> I have Darius Garland in my top 70. I have Norm Powell in my top 70. I have Gordon Hayward in my top 50. So this mm. is probably the biggest one of separation right now. And I have Miguel Bridges in the top 60. So, and obviously I have Wiggins lower. I see, understand your reasoning for all of these though. And I do have Sexton higher than Garland, I'll say. Um, I have, I was really high on Powell after the season and then I moved him down. I actually had him in the top 60 before I started these rankings. And then I'm like, no, I have him way too high. So I moved him down. Um, Hayward. Yeah. He had a weird year, but still, I thought when he was healthy, 
he was the best player on that Charlotte team. That was the sixth seed or that was, has I as the fourth seed in the East. So I thought, you know, I thought he looked really good. He's not as good looked at. He did not look as good as he did in Utah. I'll say, but I don't think he'll ever get back there, but compared to the rest of the conference, he looked like probably one of the five best forwards in the conference. Maybe I need to think about that a little more. Um, and then bridges. I had, I had him really close to the top 50. I'll just say it. He's in the 50 to 55 range for me. I thought in the playoffs, he was such a huge player for them. He was such, you know, he was probably, he wasn't a consistent shooter and they kind of took him out of the series and in the Milwaukee series. But I thought Bridges played really well throughout the whole playoffs. He's such a dogged defender. Um, and just, you're right. The offensive potential is through the roof, but that's not it. Like the offensive potential isn't even why I had him so high. I just think he's an incredible defensive player. So Let's go ahead and do my 80 through 76. So at 80, I have Marcus Morris. You know, I told you I had him pretty close to where you had him. Um, Dylan Brooks, I had at 79. I thought, you know, he was a really good player for the Grizzlies in the playoffs. The defense was off the charts, especially in the play-in and the play the play-ins in the play in the playoff game, the playoff series against the Jazz. Um, Aaron Gordon at 78. I love the level of cutting and defense he provides. I think he, and in the, in the sun series, he looked really bad, right? But that's because he was overextended. And I think once Murray comes back and if, you know, if Michael Porter jr. Plays his capabilities, I think that won't be an issue. I have Deandre Hunter at 77. So I'm a little higher on him than you are. And I have Harrison Barnes at 76. I thought he was really good for Sacramento last year, you know, but I think, I still think Boston should have traded for him. And I think that it was kind of foolish that they didn't, but um, I think he's a really good shooter and a really good defender. And he could, you know, maybe if the Kings decide they're not going to win it next year, he could swing a championship for somebody, not a championship, but he could swing like, you know, conference finals appearance or something. How do you feel about those five? So Aaron Gordon is, I knew it happened. Definitely slipped my mind, but I will defend it because I don't know. Like, even just looking at the bottom of this list, let's, like, talk about reliability, okay? Again, if I actually have to go back, I'd probably slide him in somewhere here. But, God, man. Like, last five minutes of a game, do you want Aaron Gordon on the floor or do you want Buddy Heald? You know? Would you rather have Lonzo Ball leading the pack or have Aaron Gordon? I don't know. I just don't it, – it depends on team construct, obviously. On the Nuggets – Aaron Gordon is going to be very important for just you're going to throw him on a wing. He's not touching the ball in the last five minutes. If he does, you're probably going to lose unless he's got a wide open layup. So, again, I don't don't know. Like, I'm happy he got his bag. I definitely don't hate him as a player, but he's – I just kind of soured on him. Like, I think, you know, going back to the – he just got extended. And I think I'm somewhere in the middle of you and Bryce on this where you're definitely higher than him or on him than me. I'm definitely higher on him than Bryce, but I I don't know. I I think for me personally, I just, the offensive struggles that he's had, I just, I'm not a huge fan at the moment. This is my thing, right? Like he fits their needs like a glove and yeah, like he's not a perfect player, but I think you could slide him on a good amount of teams in the league 
and he could play not like a Draymond role because you know that's that's blasphemy, but he could play like a similar you know kind of oh dribble handoffs oh you know fight cutting off ball or finding cutters himself or I think he does so many of the little things well that it kind of adds up for me where and especially his cutting like his cutting creates so many passing lanes for Jokic and it's going to be such a perfect fit next to him that I think that for me that makes up for his lack of individual shot creation and yeah I wouldn't, you know, throw him the ball in the elbow and say, here, create a shot for us with, you know, four minutes and 30 seconds left in a five point game. But I would say, hey, you know, cut off ball, get it and one dunk. Right. Maybe you missed the free throw, but you created something with your movement rather than just standing in the corner or, you know, and then on the other end, you have somebody and I value these kind of guys more than anybody. Those big forwards that can guard, you know, Paul George can guard Kawhi Leonard can guard LeBron James. There aren't many of those guys in the league. And yeah, Gordon probably would have had his lunch eaten by Giannis Antetokounmpo. So does literally everybody else in the league. Okay. Nobody can guard Giannis. So that's not the standard, right? It's just like when Shaq was in the league, nobody could stay in front of Shaq because nobody was as strong as Shaq. So that's not a fair comparison, but like Aaron Gordon does really well on Kawhi. And I know they beat the Clippers in 2020 without Aaron Gordon, but in the future, if they want to beat the Clippers, they need a guy like Aaron Gordon to me. Yeah. Again, I mean, there were definitely games where, where him and MPJ cutting was just a disaster for defenses. I mean, with Jokic and Murray out there, of course, Murray didn't play uh, much of the season, but I mean, they, they have a chance of being a very balanced offense and they do have an improved defense with him as well. So I think this time next year, if we do this list again, I probably will have him on there. And again, I probably would tonight if I really sat down and thought about it more. Because again, I, I knew I knew someone would slip my mind, and luckily he's been the only one to this point. Um, although I don't have Jay Crowder either. I don't know if you have him anywhere, but I have uh, him. Yeah, the I, next. <laughs> when we were talking about Phoenix earlier, I'm shoot. I didn't think about Jay Crowder, but I, he's kind of the same to me. Even though he's a better shooter. Like I, I, I could definitely make an argument for the guys I have above him. So I'm not too torn up about it, but I will say that um, I'm higher on Harrison Barnes, which I don't think uh, is probably a shock either. Are you, are you higher on Dylan Brooks as well? Or do you? Yeah, I'm higher on Dylan Brooks as well. My 80 to 70. And obviously, you know, in a couple of minutes, you'll hear my 75 to 70 range, but my 80 to 70 range is like, you guys are great at defense and well, not one of the guys, but you'll, you'll see who that is. But one of the guys, like practically all of them are like, okay, you guys are known for your defense. And I think that the defensive guys, like the best defenders that don't, that aren't as great on offense, this is their range for me. Right. Like, I don't think unless I think Covington's a special defender, right? Like I, I do. So he's a little higher, but, and like miles Turner, but those are like the exceptions, not the rules for, you know, you are kind of one dimensional on offense, but you're great on defense or good on defense. Like obviously these five Morris Brooks, Gordon Hunter and Barnes, like those guys are all known for their defense right now. And can, before we go, can we talk about Hunter's defense on Randall again for a second? Cause he took him out of the series. I know you wouldn't mind talking about that at all, but just, I went back and I looked at the shooting percentages for that series. Holy shit. He shot 30%. Like he shot 29.8% for the series from the field. 
And it's not like he wasn't taking shots. He had to take shots because no one else other than Derrick Rose was wanting to take shots. I thought that Hunter really swung the series the Hawks way. I will say I'm, I'm juggling a few book ideas for my next book. And, and I think the next uh, idea to throw in the mix is going to be how DeAndre Hunter shut down Julius Randle in the 2021 NBA playoffs. I mean, everyone killed DeAndre Hunter coming out of the draft because he couldn't guard Carson Edwards. It's like, okay, first of all, who could? Second of all, the dude is six foot and a ball of energy. Why Why should a six eight forward be able to handle that? Like, it, it makes sense. And some, some guys, like again, Covington, can. But most forwards, even the best defending ones, like I'm sure if you really go back, I'm sure Kawhi has struggled with Kyrie and, and Steph. Like, I'm sure just because the size difference, the speed, I'm sure that those guys, even the best, have tough times. And Hunter is much more capable of defending the guys that are closer to his size. And, hell, he's a guy I think could take some centers on and give him trouble. Um, and, I mean, Randall's basically a center anyway. But, I mean, he, he is so strong and has such good hands and is just so instinctual about about where his body is and, and how he places himself on the floor. And we talk about that on defense a lot, that just being in the right spot is such a huge deal. And when you have the IQ and the hands on top of that, I mean, you're going to give who you're defending a lot of trouble. And he did that against Randall, and it's not going to stop. Like, I'm not saying he can take on Embiid because no one can, but, like, if he gave Bam trouble, like, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, like, guys like that that are maybe a little bit smaller and less lower body strength, like, I think he can give all of them trouble. Yeah, I think that Hunter is a special defender. You brought up the offensive potential with him when you were talking about him, and I think you're right. He has a ton of offensive potential to me, and if he hits, like, as an actual star – I mean, Travis Schlenk, honestly, to me, is the best drafter in the league right now. It's not close. I think Jalen Johnson next year, by the time the year is out, he's going to be an actual NBA contributor because they just find guys. They find all these fucking diamond in the rough guys. And obviously, I don't think Reddish was a diamond in the rough guy, but getting him at 10 and the way that he looked in those three playoff games, like if he hits, the Hawks could have like eight or nine guys on the top 100 next year. Like that's absolutely just insane to me. Like I think that Travis Schlenk deserves a lot of credit for how he's drafted in Atlanta. Yeah, I'll say as a Pacers fan, the Hawks have really had similar draft picks aside from those top 10 guys um, as the Pacers. And John Collins, Pacers could have had him. Look what he's turned into in Atlanta. Kevin Herter. Look, you know, he look what he's turned into. He could have been had by those kind of late um, or early non-lottery teams. Like these these guys that were not lottery talents, but like they're not end of the first either. That's a range that's tough. Like a lot of teams struggle, the Pacers being one of them. The Pacers almost never get it right. They almost never do. And there's a lot of teams like that. Um, Milwaukee has struggled. You know, DiVincenzo was a good pick, but – you got the DJ Wilsons in there and those kind of guys. Like, that's kind of how that is. You either get DJ Wilson or you get DiVincenzo, you know? There's not much in between. So, the Hawks have pretty much hit on everyone so far. That's a tough range to draft in. I think you could argue it's it's actually easier to pick in the late 30s and early 40s than that range. So, 
for them to have come up with just two guys like that, even if Johnson doesn't hit, I mean, I, I, I think it's uh, a round of applause deserved for sure. Does he deserve a cake? Oh, yeah. We, we love handing out cakes here. Um, you know, I was just in Milwaukee last week. I delivered it to Giannis. So he was pretty happy to see that. Uh, he actually said it was, it was more thankful for the cake than the ring, which I thought was really nice of him to say. Um, so, you know, it's, it's going, it's going well with the cakes and Travis Slank definitely has one coming its way. I think that's anything else to add about the top 100 before we wrap this edition up. No, man, I'm, um, I'm, I don't want to say I'm shocked, but we're, we're, we're closer than I thought, I guess, which we've talked basketball for what, 15, 16 months at this point. So it's not that surprising that we're this close on a lot of guys, but um, you know, with a hundred guys, there's a lot of variation. So we're, uh, we're about as close as you could expect so far, I'd say. I would say so as well. Like we have some obviously differing opinions, but generally speaking, like I'd say of this group of 25, we have probably like 14 or 15 in the same like ranges. So that's, that's pretty impressive. So um, time for shameless plugs. All right, Dylan, I need to get the name of your book. What's the name of your new book? No pressure, finding happiness in a fear driven world. All right. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to your local grocery store or target or wherever you go. I'm going to tell them you don't, I'm going to tell them you leave the carts in the parking lot. All right. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell them not only in fact that you do that, I'm going to tell them that you push them into the other cars. Okay. <laughs> so that you're a parking lot terrorist. And I'm going to, I'm going to fabricate footage of you pushing carts into cars. You know, like your face is going to be fo- like not photoshopped deep faked. That's, I think that's the word when you do it in a video onto people who are pushing carts into cars and they're going to be like, huh, we can't ever let this person shop here again. And your face is going to be like no entrance allowed. So that's, what's going to happen if you don't buy Dylan Hughes's book, Dylan, how'd I do this time? Well, I will say as a former grocery store employee, this one hits particularly close to home. I mean, and you're working in a grocery store now, I'm sure you see it too. Just a lot of shenanigans happens at grocery stores people act like they got to go meet with the president. Like they're in such a rush. They got to do this. Meanwhile, they're trying to go home and watch a fucking division two football game on Thursday night. Like, you know, I'm not here for it. And I don't know if you've seen, um, I'll, I'll send it to you after this if you haven't, but there's this thing I saw last year. It's like the shopping cart theory or whatever. And it basically says that how you handle your shopping cart is that really determines whether you should be involved in society or not. It, I've seen this. Because shopping, the shopping cart return system is an honor code, right? You could fucking put it in your trunk and dump it on the highway. You could push it down the middle of the street. You could put it right behind someone's car for no reason. Or you could put it where it's supposed to go, you know? And, and I will say, I don't like when people ramp it up on like those little tree areas they have. Oh, that's I'm not terrible. It, but... At least it's stable, right? At least it's in a place. At the very worst, please do that. Don't just leave it sitting out in the parking lot where someone's car could hit it or whatever. Just return it. And if you don't return it, we will remove you from society. It's as simple as that. I worked at Meyer one summer. Shout out to my Midwest people listening to this and shout out to my not Midwest people who might be listening to this who don't know what Meyer is. Meyer is basically just like your run-of-the-mill grocery store. But I was working at Meyer one summer and I had to do cart corralling. Let me tell you, not a fun job, especially when someone leaves it in those 
like far out places of the parking lot that aren't by any car corrals. Those yeah. people are the worst. And I'll say they do deserve to be removed from society. But I think that you're right. The way people act around shopping carts is a good indicator of their character. I, I will say that's that's 100 percent correct. And, you know, I've I'm trying to be I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to old people because I used to shit on old people a lot. But I understand if you walk 10 feet to the crowd, your hip could give out. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But I will say, like, if you want to ramp, because usually the handicapped parking is right next to those little tree areas, ramp it up. Like, that's fine. We understand you can't walk. Put it in a stable place if you can't put it in the corral. But if you're a 30-year-old Karen... I don't ever want to see your face again. If you're just throwing the car out in the middle somewhere or the, one of the worst is they just put it in the middle of the parking space. So you can't even pull in the parking space. Like those people, I actually would argue they deserve worse than being re- removed from society. I think some sort of um, corporal or capital punishment, whatever the word is like it, it's deserved. It just is deserved. That's, that's incredible content from you, Dylan Hughes. Um, who would have thought that a plug for no pressure, finding happiness in a fear-driven world by Dylan Hughes would lead us down a discussion of parking lots and shopping carts. Um, other plugs, Divine Rhyme. So this will be coming out on Thursday. The next pod will be coming out. The next Top 100 pod will be coming out next Monday. So um, you're going to have a Divine Rhyme in between them. Sturgill Simpson, the new Sturgill Simpson album. I didn't, I'm not a Sturgill guy, but Dylan, how are you feeling about the pod that you and Dylan are going to be, or you and Will are going to be recording tomorrow morning? Well, I will say I've been procrastinating. I still have to take my notes, um, but it's, it's going to be an interesting discussion. We just came off a really good month doing Mac, man. Like me and I think it was our best series by far. I mean, Mac Miller's discography is just incredible. And it, it kind of brought me and will to a place that we just had to get a lot out. You know, we had to think through a lot of stuff and we had Sturgill right before that. That was a good month too. Um, and this album, I will say it's a little bit tougher to break down. It's, it's a short, it's like 28 minutes. So who knows where the discussion will go the pod will probably end up being longer than the album. Um, I think that's a lock basically, but, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. I don't really have expectations right now, but knowing me and will, it's going to be a banger knowing you and will, it will be a banger. Um, so make sure you check that out. Make sure you check out Linsanity. They put out their first week one episode. Shockingly, um, it ran longer than this one is going to run, which is the shock of the century, I'll say. But trust me, they have a lot of in-depth breakdowns of week one of most of the meaningful games. And it was really well done. So make sure, listen, you know, if you have two hours to carve out of your day, you want to listen to some week one breakdowns, go check out Linsanity, man. They do it. I'm honestly really impressed with the way they did it. So I told Caleb, I, I love that episode. So if you like football, you'll like that episode. Um, triple option pass. Speaking of, if you like football, if you like college football, they're back in the swing of it. Um, they should be out with another episode soon. Recapping week two, a crazy week in which I don't remember any of the college football happenings from this weekend since it was NFL weekend, but I'm, I think some upsets happened. So make sure you check that out. Um, and then circle city cinema, 
I'll be on next Wednesday with Zach and Bryce. We're going to be drafting superhero movies. <laughs> so make sure you check that out. Um, and I think that's all of the plugs we have for right now. Obviously, Dylan and I are going to talk to each other again in a couple of minutes. But listeners, we will be talking to you next week. And I want Dylan Hughes, thank you so much for doing this project with me. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.